So that's uh, yeah, super exciting. So hey, this, this morning, I want to begin by letting you know about our last week. It will actually tie into what we're talking about this morning. But uh, Randall and I uh, had the opportunity uh, this past week uh, just to have a beautiful experience um, with a group of complete strangers. Uh, we spent Monday night through Friday morning with a group of lead pastors from different theological streams, different ethnicities, different backgrounds on the campus of Berry College uh, at a wind-shaped retreat center run by Chick-fil-A for a pastor's R&R. Here's a picture of the group that we were with. Now, the idea at the time, right, this is our group right here, um, and so you can tell, so I, I was the young, ran along with the youngest crowd there, so it was really, really fun. But in the context of our time, right, the idea is that Wednesday says, hey, we want to pay for pastors and bring you up for the week and just do R&R, rest and relaxation, any R you can think of, to rest, relax, to rejuvenate, to reconnect, whatever re you can think of. And in that time, again, it was all free for us. But they came in, and the idea was we had this group of people. We didn't know any of them when we got there, right? And so in the context of our time, we sat down and started having, you know, conversation and dialogue around issues of the church. And during that time, we discussed vision of the church. We talked about racism, specifically in the context of the church. We talked about prodigal children. We talked about politics. That was very fun. We talked about everything in between, right? It's like we had all these conversations, and everybody, again, you're talking about to lead people, and so lead people have all sorts of lead ways of talking and lead things, right? You know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about, right? So it was a really, really great time. So by the time we left on like Thursday night, it was kind of that real last thing we did. We sat around with this group of people with varied backgrounds, right? Just varied stories and history, right? And by the time we left on Thursday, we had passed out phone numbers, friended on Facebook. We're already connecting because we all fell in love with one another, right? And it was really, really cool because as we sat down and had all of these conversations, I think I had multiple takeaways, right? Because this time we like, we laughed, we cried, we worshiped, we rested, we dreamed. And in that time, number one, I started thinking about how important every expression of Jesus-centered churches are in the U.S., right? Like, when you think about this group right here, you have you have some first church pastors. You know what I mean, right? The big church in the big city, and they're the first church pastors. Everybody knows them, right? And then on, you have you have small you have pastors of small rural churches that have like twenty five people in them on a good Sunday, right? You have people who were full time. You had guys who who were literally working a full time job, going full time to school, and pastoring two churches in rural places far apart from one another and flip-flopping every week of what church he went to. You had a couple who literally, when they were, when I say they, they work and they and they have a church on the in the inner city of St. Louis, I don't mean in a building. I mean they go down with their pop-up tent on a street corner in the most dangerous, drug-infested part of St. Louis, literally, right? You can go see the data online and... And they pop up a pop-up tent and they begin to preach the gospel for several hours to the drug addict and to the prostitutes. Like we went online, their Facebook, and watched some of their, their the, the people videoing. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And of course, then there's Randall and I. 
And so in the context of this time, like, I'm not saying it was so great. I'm saying, no, it was just this eye-opening experience of what church looks like on all sorts of different spectrums from one side to the other. And when I say I sat back and I was just reminded of how important it is to have vital Jesus-centered churches, I really mean that because I'm like, these are people on opposite ends of the spectrum that, that I'm not reaching, but they are, and I can all I can do was thank God. All I could do was thank God for the perspective that he built. Like when you sit down with all this group of people, you can only imagine that when we talk about politics, we have differing spectrums. When we talk about racism and experiencing racism in the church, we have different experiences. When we talk about our children, very like-minded in how we view, right? But we sat down and had all of these conversations, and I was so thankful, so thankful for the work that Jesus was doing in us and in all of these people that we fell in love with. With this in mind, I want to shift gears to the context of our conversation that we've been having around 2020 and what it means for us. For those who haven't been here, it's important to know that we spent the past two weeks asking this question. It's not on the screen, but the question we've been asking, encourage you to listen to the podcast for the last two weeks, is what is Jesus saying about your next year with him? So you haven't been at Vintage in the last couple of weeks. We've been asking this and processing this question is, what is Jesus saying about your next year with him? And when we ask the question, we don't ask it like, oh, Jesus, what are you, what are we, what are you doing this next year? No, it's like we believe confidently that he is excited about our relationship with him. And in the context of our relationship with him, there's a level of anticipation, a level of joy and excitement as he thinks about doing life with us as individuals. And of course, he would want to share that with us because he's a good and loving friend and father who shares his heartbeat with his kids. And so when we ask the question, there's a level of joy and excitement. Why? Because he's confident about our next year with him, right? He's confident about spending the year with us and taking us places and doing things. And so we had this level of joy and excitement too, right? We talked about how God is uniquely moving in each of us. He's moving in our personal relationship with him. We talked about the grace The grace, that unearned blessing of him, right? This grace that is present to go deep in our relationship with him. And the grace that's present to empower us to do ministry alongside of him every day. It's a beautiful reality. We want to be a people who are always asking God, where are you moving and how can we partner with you? Where are you moving, God, and how do we partner with you? And so that's what we talked about. The next few weeks, I want to shift, I want to shift, and I want to um, give a foundational question for the next four weeks. And the foundational question that will be here on the, on the screen is this. God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? Where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? Because the idea, we want to be all in, in our relationship and calling with Jesus, and we want to find our place in the church. We want to invite God, right, to awaken in each of us his heart for the church, our role in it, in the places that where he is calling us to actively 
serve in. So, when asking the question, again, God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? I think we have to begin to ask the question and define, well, what do we mean by church? Right? Like, what do we actually mean by church? So I want to ask, I want to begin this morning, and I've done this before, but I want to, I want to, I want to begin with a few common six, excuse me, common, common sense trick questions. They're going to be on the screen. Now, these are common sense trick questions. You understand these questions. Are the common sense trick questions? Are the questions that you ask that seem they're common sense, but they're a trick question? So just keep your answer to yourself, but I want you to see if you get it right, okay? Let's start with the first two questions. What word would you use to describe a man or a woman who does not have all his fingers on one hand? Right? Just think about that, right? What word would you use to describe a man who does not have all his or her fingers on one hand. Think about the word, just kind of put it there. The answer is normal, because no one has all of their fingers on one hand. They have them on two hands, right? You don't have ten fingers on one hand. You have ten fingers total, five on each, for a total of ten. Common sense trick question, right? The second one's much more simple. Before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the highest mountain in the world? Mount Everest, right? Because it's always been present. We just didn't know it existed, right? So now let's come back and ask the common sense trick question around the church. Let's go to the next slide for me, please, Daniel. It says this. How many churches total, right? Think of all the churches you've been to in your life. How many churches total are there in the world? There's one. Good job, babe. See, I raised a theologian in my house, right? Hey! Now, Sarah, did you say anything? I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Now, in this, like we said one, you're like, yeah, it's one. But do we actually ever talk about the church that way? Right? Like, do you ever think about church as one? Do you ever think about it in that context? Do you, or do you talk about, yeah, I'm going to church. I'm a part of a church, right? In a singular way. Now this morning I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to focus our attention on a familiar scripture. I'm not going to dive deep into this morning. It's not a big, long, exegetical thing around scripture. We're kind of going verse by verse, right? I'm going to kind of name one verse and build off of it. We'll dive much deeper into these in upcoming weeks this morning. I want you to recognize this morning, if you came hoping for a direct word of the Lord this morning for your personal need this morning, that's not where we're going. But I do invite you to go spend time with Jesus this week. He'll be happy to talk to you about issues going on in your life. Right. This morning is to really awaken a vision inside of you and an understanding around when we talk about church, what is church? What does that mean? How does it apply to our conversation around God? What are you calling me to do and be a part of in the church in 2020? Because we don't have a right understanding of what the church is. Then we can ask the question all day long and get it wrong. Understanding church and what the church is and how it functions is vital. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, says this. Just as a body, though one, 
has many parts. So you're right. This is your, you have a body and you have a nose. You have eyes and ears and hands and fingers and toenails, all that kind of stuff, right? Like you are, there's one body but many parts. So this is a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews on one extreme or Gentiles on the other extreme, whether slave on one extreme or free on the other extreme. And we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So here Paul is speaking to the one body made up of many individuals here in the city of Corinth, right? So in the context, Paul's coming and saying, hey, you're part, you're part of the church in Corinth, right? And, and each of you have unique giftings and unique skill sets. None of you are more important than the others. No body part are more important than they're all super vital and super important. So he's actually coming in the moment saying, and the idea of, of the body, you're all equal. No one person more important in the other in the context of the one body. But I think it's really interesting. He comes in and talks about the, the body in the context of saying, but listen, there's really just one body. There's just one body of Christ. And whether you were on one extreme or the other, as our experience at Windshape, wasn't it? You have your first church people and you have your pop-up tent on the side of the street, whether it's literally, whether it's raining, true story, you can watch the videos, whether it's raining, whether it's snowing, whether it's sunny outside, whether they have jackets on or have jackets off, whether they have parkas and ponchos on or not, right? Like in both of these extremes, right, they're just one body. It's just many parts, different expressions. So here again, Paul is speaking to the one body, many parts, many individuals. But the same, listen, but in this, the same argument here has to relate to the worldwide church, right? Not just the church in America. There is only one body. Whether it's in Seoul, Korea, whether it's in, in Pakistan, whether it's in China, whether it's in South America, whether it's in North America, and we're from countries I see to, 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 to continents, but you have this idea no matter where we are, there's just one body. And we're uniquely expressing it in different ways with different individuals. There's one body, one church, different expressions. And so, in this, the place to land on a church is this. There is only one, B, one big C church, right? The Bride of Christ. Only one big C church. And there are different expressions of it in the world, little C churches. And then there are unique individuals in each expression who make up the church. Therefore, as you speak about the church in upcoming weeks, I want us to think of it in three different ways. What I just named. When you think of church, I want you to think about it in three different ways. There is the one body of Christ, big C. I want you to think of the small C churches. We talked about Corinth right here. I just named these different pastors who have their own unique little C's, our own little unique C here at Vintage. And then I want you to think of individuals who make up the church. For without people, there would be no big C or no little C. So you get the picture, right? 
we have big C church, one body. We have different expressions of that, little C churches. And in the context of that, we have the churches individuals because you can't have either without individuals. And so when you're talking then about the church and talking about your place in 2020 in the body of Christ, we're thinking about it in the context of big C, little C, and then individual. And it's good and it's right always to kind of weave in and out of those thoughts and thinking and the way that you're praying and thinking about the church. Like, you know how it looks like you can pray and say, God, would you be at the church today? And you're literally thinking about the movement, thinking about this movement of God all over the globe. And God, we're praying, would you be at the people of Vintage 242 Church, God, that you continue to move in our expression? And God, we're praying, would you just be with myself that you would help me be who I'm called to be in the context of that? And what you just pray for? The church in all three ways. In all three ways. We think about it in the context of big C, little C, individual. Why is this important? Like, why are we even talking about this on Sunday morning, right? We believe the big C church is the pinnacle of God's plan to save the world, right? Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like in the context of life, like, like in business plans or in situations of life, like you get a plan, but then you have like an alternate plan in case this doesn't work, right? Because that's just wisdom. We do that all the time, right? We have an alternate plan if this primary plan doesn't work, but, but God has one plan to save the world, and it's big C church with little C expressions with individuals making that up. There's just one plan. And so when we talk then about the idea of of the church, it is the pinnacle. It is the pinnacle of God's plan to save the world. So in our three-week infusion group, so we do three-week infusion group, right? So if you don't know about infusion group, infusion group is what we do for those who are new at Vintage or those who feel new, right? And in the context of this infusion group, we bring you together. We, we meet at, at someone's house. We do dinner together. We talk. We have a special time. We get the feels, right? Like, this feels so good. I just love being around people. I mean, they're so nice, right? We talk about theology, we talk about the church, talk about vision, talk about values, all of these things that you need to know to make that connection. We help you make connection with people. It's really, really good. And so we have one starting January 26th. We'd love for you to be part of Infusion Group to get involved and invested in the in the context of the big C, little C and the individual, right? We want to invite you to be part of it. But here's the thing about it. When we talk about The church, one of the things that I say in infusion is this. We believe the church is the most important group of people on the earth. We must work together as the body of Christ or the body to change the world. I say it is the church that brings salvation to the world. It is the church that disciples the followers of Jesus. It is the church through which God moves to fulfill his purpose and to fulfill his plan. The church is the pinnacle. It is the most important thing going on in the earth right now. Because without the church, the people of God, the simple expressions, then the world would die and all go to hell. It's more important than government. It's more important than media. It's more important than education. And Rodney Clapp says this, and I quote this. I'm not sure people really grab hold of it because they don't necessarily, eh, right? But he says this. Rodney Clapp says, the nuclear family, mom, dad, couple of kids of the narrow social unit is not God's most important institution on earth. Rather, the church is the first family. 
Like, I want you to let that sink in. The nuclear family as a narrow social unit is not God's most important institution on earth. Rather, the church is the first family. The church is the most important group of people on the earth because your family can't save the world. Right? You just investing yourself and time and energy into your little family will not save your neighbors. Right? It doesn't work that way. Your little social unit submits to the whole of God's plan. Could you imagine reading the Old Testament ever and having the people like like, like the, the people of God, right? The tribe of Judah. And you have this whole group of people, right? The people of God. Israel, right? Like, do you have you ever read say, well, so and so's family had this important thing, so they decided to pull away from the people of God for a season to invest into their own perfect family, their own personal family, and then jump back in when there's when time was right. No. You either are a part of the people of God as a as a single family, or you are not, right? It's like you you your single family is trumped by the call of God big picture. So when we talk about families being an idol and children being an idol, it's when we say I'm primarily focused on my social unit rather than on big C church call of God and the people of God. People of God trump personal family. It just is how it is. It's how it's been from the very beginning. And some of us have to wrestle through that. We're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I, churches abused families over the years. Yes, they have. Right? Well, that doesn't sound right. Is it, is, is it not sound right? Does it sound biblical or does it sound cultural? Like culture says, oh my gosh, just protect your little family. I don't find that in scripture. Scripture says, serve God as a family and, if, and it's dangerous. The point is, big C is priority. Little C submits, and then individuals submit. But we're all part of the C. Why? Because in the context of the world, there's one body. Like, do you remember the Exodus? Did you see any little random families just kind of jump out of their own way? Let's go do our own thing. No, they all travel together as one people. With 12 tribes, with individual families. Therefore, I want to end by, I want to focus by what I mean by Big C and why it's so important. In upcoming weeks, we'll kind of work our way down to the individual. But the Greek word, I want this on the screen, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia. You can also say ekklesia, depending on how you're viewing the Greek. But ekklesia, it means simply this, an assembly or a gathering of people who are called out for something specific for a purpose. Follow me. So ecclesia doesn't in and of itself have anything to do with anything spiritual, right? Like you have a political movement, people who draw together for a purpose of talking about politics for the purpose of doing something about it, right? That could be an ecclesia in the Greek. And so ecclesia is simply just an assembly, a congregation of people, a gathering of people who are called out for something specific and for a purpose, right? It does not mean a place. Church, ecclesia, does not mean a place. So the idea of this, this building is not an ecclesia. 
This building is not a church. Right? This building is not a church. This building can only house the ecclesia, the people who've been called by God out of their homes to gather for the purpose of worship, teaching, and commissioning. So the church is about people and then a building becomes a church only if there are people in it, right? So when you're driving down 75, drive by Church of the Apostles, some of you go there, have been there in your past, beautiful church, right? It seems so sacred. But here's the interesting thing. There's nothing sacred about a building. The only thing that's sacred are Jesus and people who walk into a building. And so when we talk then about church, do you go to church or are you the church? Do you go to some place because it's more holy and sacred? Or do you recognize that you're actually the one who is sacred and holy because of Jesus Christ inside of you? And then you gather with people who are just like you. So now you have an ecclesia. Like it's a super, super important differentiation. God, listen, God's spirit may dwell here because, but it doesn't dwell here just because the building's holy. It, he may dwell here because you brought him in. He's like, I'm just going to be here when they get here. Whatever I mean, right? Like, but wherever you go, that's where Jesus is because you were the temple of the Holy Spirit. Church is people gathered together for the purpose of God. Therefore, the only way people can be the church is if the purpose of God is the reason for their gathering. Listen. Church, as we view church, the ecclesia, the only way it can truly be church is if the purpose of God is the reason for their gathering. So why then did people originally gather? What was their purpose? Listen, the purpose of people gathering was the mission of saving the world. That's the reason they gathered. What does Jesus say? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to go wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I have for you. I'm going to send my Spirit to you to empower you to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everything about gathering was about the purpose of God to ultimately live on mission, to be the ecclesia, and to bring congregation to anyone who needed it. And so we went on mission with a purpose to bring Jesus to people. And then when we gather here, it's not so we can go, hey man, it's so good to see you, but so that we can encourage one another, challenge one another, we can worship and go after Jesus, receive teaching, so that we can then leave here, go be God's holy people out there on mission for those who don't know him. And that, my friends, is why we have church. Church is not a place that you go. It is a people living on purpose, on mission. The mission of saving the world, starting in Jerusalem and ending in the streets, the streets that you live in. So with that in mind, one fascinating story told by J.D. Greer, he's now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said in the Middle Ages, and you may have heard this story before, in the Middle Ages, the concept of church went from being people to being a place. So think like 
1200 A.D. to like 1600 A.D., right? So this like 400-year span, church went from being people in movement, right? Went from being people to being a place. And so people started going to church. They started going to a building. That's when they built all these beautiful, amazing chapels and churches. And you can go everywhere all over the world and go see these beautiful, sacred places that were built. And you can only go in certain places, right? You can't walk on certain things because they designed a building and named a building as a sacred place. And you can only go into certain parts of it as if we still lived in the Old Testament and the veil had not been torn, right? And so in this, you had this idea of church being a place. In fact, our word for church in the English language is not taken from ecclesia, but instead is the German word kirche, which means sacred place. And so when we interpreted church in our language, we used a German word rather than the Greek word. And the German word just means a sacred place. Again, we began to understand church as a place that we went because the place itself was sacred. English speakers thought about church as a place rather than the people gathered. But then something amazing happened. God moved in the heart of the reformers. You've all heard of the Reformation, right? You've heard of Martin Luther and his 95 Theses, right? Say, Catholic Church, you messed it up, right? Here are the things we have. We're protesting, right? And so part of it was a huge return back to the centrality of the gospel as revealed in Scripture. The centrality, the importance of the good news of Jesus as expressed in Scripture, right? And so you had this, this, this reformation. And it was a movement to, to put the hands of people onto Bibles that they could read so they could have a relationship with Jesus themselves. And so in this season, remember, listen, Martin Luther was just one of many. And one of those reformers, a young reformer named William Tyndale. William Tyndale, a lot of you have Bibles with his name on it, right? There have been Bible societies that have been literally birthed kind of off of the, the blood that he spilt, right? And so they literally said the, 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 the word of God for the world, the Bible for the world, right? And so in this William Tyndale, he began to, to reinsert, began to reinsert the mission of God and the understanding of the name of the church. He wanted to return it back to being a people gathered for a purpose, right? And so in this, many of you know, William devoted much of his life to translating the Bible into his native tongue of English. And here's the fascinating part. Every single time he came to the word ecclesia in the Greek New Testament, he translated it congregation. He translated it congregation instead of church because he wanted to reclaim the idea that the church was not a place to go, but a movement to join. It was a movement. This infuriated the authorities because in so doing, Tyndale had undercut their power. You see, leaders could control the places of worship, meaning they could control the people. So when Tyndale downplayed the place, he diminished their control. Places you could control, movements you cannot. So when they tried Tyndale as a heretic, 
During his trial, Tyndale said to one of the church leaders, if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And as he was burning at the stake, Tyndale's last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. God, open the king of England's eyes. God, to recognize it's about a movement. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it. There's a guy named... King James, less than a hundred years, who took the Bible from Greek and translated it into English. Like, what happened to the reformers? They said, listen, we are not a place. We are a people in movement. It's about the big C, and we are little C's, and we are now individuals. And the gospel is a movement. It's not a place, right? It's not about building all these things. It's about building the kingdom of God as we share the gospel in movement to those that are in need. And that's big C doing it with little C's expressing as individuals like William Tyndale take the movement of God and say, Lord, you are more important than me. Your movement, it's the plan. It's more important than my little family. God, you're more important. The gospel's more important. The movement is more important. The purpose of God is more important. Everyone needs the gospel. And he spilled blood so that people would know the gospel of Jesus. So let me go back to the beginning. As we launched the morning, the goal for us to be all in the movement of God, we began asking the question, God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? Do you think about it a little bit different now? In the context of understanding big C, of recognizing the expression in little c, and recognizing my individual commitment in the context that we recognize that we don't leave church, right? We don't leave church. We are the church. The church actually becomes only becomes church when we actually gather here together for the purpose of God. And then when we leave, we're then taking the church, the movement of the purposes of God to go to people out here. Like that's what church is about, Living on, living for the purpose of God's mission every single day. It's one body. You have your role to play. That's why we say you can't have idols before you because what do they do? They distract you from fulfilling the mission of God. Because you have idols because you want your, you make it about you. You have your hobbies that distract you. And it's okay to have hobbies until they become an idol and they distract you from the movement. Like, have you thought about the movement of God recently? Have you thought about the world revival that we're believing for and praying for? Do you recognize that today thousands of Christians will be killed because they have not backed down to the purpose and the mission of God? Right now, while we've been at church, over 100 Christians have died because they won't bow down. You're like, well, that's just not the world we live in. It's not my first church. That's not first church world. There's one body. These are your brothers and sisters. They live for the mission of God. What are we doing? How are you living? Are you living so sacrificial? Do you recognize people die today with a wife and five kids? Because the gospel was more important. Like, 
All I'm doing is putting out, and I think here's the point, I'm just, I think I'm teaching what we see happen in Scripture. More than likely, Peter had a wife and kids, but the call of God was more important on his life, and he was murdered for it. Man, that got super heavy, super fast, didn't it, guys? Man, I didn't mean that to happen. I didn't do that the first service. Man. That's needed. Thanks for saying that. All right. We're partnering. I just want us to partner. Like we're little C. God's placed me in charge of this, right? Like I just want little C to actually make a difference. I want little C and the individuals in it not to bow down to culture and use family as a reason not to go after the movement of God. Like, I want people to live fearless. I want people to be willing to suffer for the sake and the name of Jesus. I want people to look at vintage and go, I don't know what it is about them, but they're different. And not mean it in a weird way. They can mean it in a weird way as long as weird's Jesus, right? Like, I literally, this one girl said one time, she's like, I don't like going to your, your college ministry. I'm like, why? She's like, it's just, it's just so spiritual. And I stopped there and said, you know, the only way to be spiritual is the Holy Spirit's there, so thank you, right? It's like, yes, that's what we want. And so in this, right, we're not, we are, we are partnering in a movement and not a place. We are partnering in the mission of God to save the world in each little sea. We each do our part. Each individual is not unlike William Tyndale. And this morning, we have to be honest with ourselves about our view of church. Why do we gather? Do you come because you only want something? Because you want someone to serve you? Or do you come so you can live on mission and serve others? Like, church has nothing to do with consumerism. Like, if you ever leave church, go, that just worship wasn't very good this morning. You're a consumer. Well, that wasn't Steve's best message. You're a consumer. You're coming and rating something and deciding which is good and which is bad. Do you sit down and go, well, Steve could have said, Steve could have said, worship could have done. Like, that's consumerism. You totally miss Jesus and you just judge the value of something. That's not Jesus. That's not church. That's consumerism. And we all want to die to that. So, what's the purpose for gathering? God wants to shift our vision this morning in 2020 away from viewing church as a place and begin to see our gathering as having a deeper meaning. We're gathering for the purpose of God to save the world. It involves self, but only in how we make up the one body to see the movement of God in action. So how do you view church? You view it as a place or a movement. Is church here to serve you or is it movement in which you were called to serve? How we view church absolutely impacts how we answer God in partnering with him in the life of church in 2020. I don't want to get to the end of my life and just realize I missed it. I don't. I don't want to get to the end of life and go, man, I really, really, really did not lead vintage to the place that it needed to be as the little C inside the big C. I'm responsible for that. I confess, I've fallen in the trap of everything I'm talking about this morning. 
And I just simply think it's the time as we talk about praying for what God has connect to in church in 2020. It's just a, a year of taking gradual steps back into kingdom vision. For some of you, that means waking back up to what you actually believed 10 years ago and were living for then. For some of you, it's just going to be waking up to something new and exciting. And I just invite you to figure that out. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray you would take the words this morning. I pray you just help them to really land uh, on the soft areas of people's hearts of of challenge and change. Uh, Lord, you love us where we are, but you're always calling us forward. That's the paradox of Christianity. You love us right where we are, but you're always moving us forward. God, you're always celebrating pieces of who we are, but you're always challenging us in areas of growth. And so I pray this morning that, Lord, we would just stand here in the confidence of your great love and affection for us, your grace that's present, that we'd be awakened, we'd be awakened this morning to, oh my gosh, God, you're calling me to a deeper place and understanding and engaging church of being an individual part of a little sea in the context of the big sea that God, my life and everything I'm praying into revolves around the purpose of God and the mission of saving the world. Lord, if it's not that, then we're missing something. And so I just pray for an awakening this morning. So this is really a message directed strictly at Christians this morning. And so I, I pray for non-Christians here this morning, those who are not who just don't know you and don't know if they want to know you. Let us pray, Father, this morning that you would awaken them and that, God, they would hear us say, we're sorry for giving you a really poor example of what church is. And I pray this morning, God, this, that we just repent of that and say, God, would you awaken us this morning to who church is, what it is, how it functions, your intended purpose of being a congregation who congregates and gathers for the purpose of going after the mission of Jesus, not looking to be served, but looking to serve, not looking to receive only, but God coming to give and knowing that we'll also receive. So come and have your way in us, Jesus. We pray this in your name. This morning, I recognize as we talk about the individuals in the church that, man, it's like, Steve, I'm barely making it, and I get it. And so this morning, I I believe that's the beautiful piece about Jesus. It's, hey, it's good and right to have a healthy view of church, but he has great compassion of where you are to meet you there. But the point is, God always brings healing and restoration biblically than to make us whole, not so we can just celebrate wholeness, but so we can be whole, than to go live on mission, right? Like he saved the woman at the well and says, now, go and tell everyone, <laughs> right? It's like this, this beautiful peace. And so God makes us whole so we can then join him in the work that he's doing. We can't miss that part. And so this morning you come, like, man, see, I, just, I, 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 I pray I'm just praying that God would move in my life. And this morning, I want to invite you to come. We're going to have ministry teams available on both sides. And they just love to pray for you. Anything going on this morning, things you're wrestling with, things that are keeping you from being whole so you can actually be a part of the movement of God in the way that you want to be, right? We have communion available this morning. Communion is remembering and celebrating the fact of the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, that he saved us then, and he's saving us today, and he's moving through us tomorrow, right? The beautiful peace of communion. Invite you if you came this morning to worship God through your offering. We have baskets here. We have a little giving box right there in the back. You can lift the lid or the giving kiosk outside with an iPad on the left over here. 
We want to invite you to worship that way. But I invite you to respond. Whether it's to say, God, just open my eyes. God, open my reality, the understanding of big C, little C, individuals, the church. Or maybe it's just to allow for God to pour out restoration inside of you so you can then jump into the mission of what he has. You respond as the Lord leads. I'll come back up and pray us out.